Amen. As you're being seated, if you'll find your Bible, open it up or turn it on to Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18. We're going to be in verses 31 through 34 today. I had a simple assignment. Uh, I was to go and pick up some chicken nuggets and a large french fry. Now, this is an assignment that even a rookie dad could do, much less a hardened father of four such as myself. Anybody can handle this assignment. And so I go up to the counter there at the fine eating establishment, and there are six people behind the counter. And when I approached, the first question that they asked me was, are you paying with cash? And I said, no, I'm paying with a card. So they said, well, can't take your order. So I thought to myself, okay, you know, is it because I'm a Christian? Is that what it is? You know, that kind of thing. And, and uh, he, said, he said, well, you have to go to the kiosk to put your order in if you're paying with a card. I was like, okay. So I turn around, and there's the kiosk. So I go back there, and as I'm doing this, the six people behind the counter are watching me do all this, and I'm, you know, nuggets and fries, and there's this big kiosk. It's well laid out and everything, but I have never felt older in my life. I'm like, okay, where are the fries? Okay, how do I delete that? I put two in instead of one, and, you know, it was just awful. But finally, finally I, I get my receipt, and I pay my money, and all these six people that were watching me now were able to go get my food and bring me the food that I needed, and I completed my order. And I, I thought to myself as I was doing this, somewhere in New York City, there's an efficiency expert who put this all together and thought this was going to be a good idea. But here in Texas, this just didn't make sense to me. Why couldn't I just give the person my order, get my food, and and move on? How does it make you feel when something just doesn't make sense? When it just doesn't seem like a good idea? Does it make you feel frustrated, angry, stressed out? You just want to run? Well, how does it make you feel when God does something that you don't understand? Now, I've actually seen this a lot uh, as a pastor. I've seen people who were growing in their relationship with God, and then along the way, something happened that they just didn't understand. And perhaps it created some frustration or anger. And so then there is a reaction. Sometimes the reaction comes out towards the church and they back away from the church. Sometimes it is more subtle and it just comes out in your relationship with God. You don't pray anymore. When the songs are sung during worship, there's not that grip on your heart. I've even seen it in more extreme cases where people had something happen that they didn't understand and it reached a point where they left their marriage or left their families because something happened. God did something. God allowed something to happen that you didn't understand and you were like, why God? Well, today we arrive on the scene in Scripture where the disciples don't understand what God is doing. And so that's where we pick up in Luke chapter 18 and verse 31. The Bible says, Then he took the twelve aside 
and told them, Listen, listen, we are going up to Jerusalem. Now, for you to understand what's happening, you need to get a little bit of the context of what had just occurred in the book. In the last passage, the Apostle Peter, good old Peter, he always had something to say, but in the last passage, he had pointed out that the disciples had left everything to follow Jesus. They had left their business, their lives, in some cases their families, and they had followed Jesus with everything in their being. Now, just before that, Jesus had had an encounter with someone that is commonly called the rich young ruler. And the rich young ruler had asked Jesus, what do I need to do to have eternal life? And Jesus had told him, you need to be willing to leave everything and follow me. In other words, rich young ruler, eternal life's not going to be found in your riches, in your youth, in your power. You need to trust in me if you truly desire to have eternal life. Now, this presented a problem for the disciples because the disciples had done just that. They had left everything in order to follow Jesus, but they thought in following Jesus there would be a substantial earthly payoff. In other words, they thought in following Jesus they would become rich young rulers. You see, they believed in Jesus as Messiah. They believed that He was the Son of God. Yet at this point, their understanding of what Messiah meant was limited. They needed to grow more in their faith. And so they thought that the Messiah would ultimately overthrow Rome, that He would set up a new kingdom, and that He would reign, and that they would all be His lieutenants. So they had abandoned everything, but they thought to themselves, one day it's going to happen, one day uh, we're going to be rich young rulers. And then Jesus had just told the rich young ruler, abandon all that stuff and just follow me. And so Jesus pulls them aside and he tells them, listen, your plan is not my plan. Now I want you to notice a few things here. Number one, I want you to notice that he takes them aside. Now, this is just somewhat of a side jaunt within this sermon. But we need to be aware of this. We live in a very connected society. We live in the communications age, the social media age. And for a lot of us, we want our lives to be very transparent. And there's nothing wrong with trying to be authentic and trying to be real and connect with people. That's all very godly stuff. But also understand this, not everything in your life has to be for public consumption. This is Jesus here. And if you look at the life of Jesus, you find that there were times that he engaged the crowds and then there were times where he retreated from the crowds. There were times when he went out all alone and prayed. And there were times when he wanted to teach something to those that were closest to him, and he would pull them aside. It's okay to be private sometimes. And I want to encourage you in this social media age to be careful not to share too much. Now, that does not apply to the barbecue today. 
We want you to share that with all your friends, okay? And check in at Murphy Road and let everybody know that this is a great church and all sorts of good things are, are happening. But, you know, sometimes I see people on Twitter or Facebook or whatever, and they're complaining. They come across as angry. Sometimes they complain about their children, complain about their spouse. I've seen situations where people were like, publicly dressing down their spouse on social media. Complain about your boss, customers, uh, your church, your school. Complaining about things and just don't do that. Don't do that. You say, why, Lash? Well, number one, life is too short to be angry all the time. Don't be that person that's just always upset. Life is just too short. And as you go around complaining, uh, you miss out on so many blessings because of that anger and resentment and complaining. Number two, it will come back to bite you at some point. I've watched as people lost job opportunities because of various things that they said or posted a couple years earlier. And so it does come back to bite you at times. And thirdly, whenever you publicly complain about your spouse or your children, when you dress them down or deal with things in front of their loved ones or their friends that maybe you should deal with in public, it it can humiliate them and it can embarrass them. And that's not your goal, to humiliate or embarrass the people that you love the most. So Jesus pulls the disciples aside and he says to them, listen, listen. In other words, don't miss this. This needs to sink in. And then the third thing that he says to them is, we are going up to Jerusalem. Now, there were some people that were trying to get Jesus not to go to Jerusalem because there were people in Jerusalem that did not like Jesus. There were people in Jerusalem that were plotting for his demise. They knew that if Jesus went to Jerusalem, there were going to be hard times ahead. And they were trying to convince Jesus, let's don't go there. And Jesus pulls his disciples aside. He says, no, this is exactly where we're going. We're going to climb the mountain and we're going to go to Jerusalem. Realize this, sometimes being in the center of God's will means being in the center of man's bullseye. Sometimes the center of God's will is going to put you in a position where people are going to criticize you and it's going to be difficult. There is a misnomer in Christianity that if I follow God and treat people right and do the right thing, that good things will always happen to me. In fact, there's a whole stream of Christianity that's called the health and wealth gospel that advertises that if you just have enough faith and you just do the right things and you will be healthy and wealthy and good things will always happen to you. My response to that is read your Bible. Just read it. And you'll find time and time again people that were following God trying to do the right thing They endured hardship, but God would use that adversity as an opportunity to display His glory. God would use that adversity as an opportunity to draw other people to Him. Following Christ will sometimes lead you to Jerusalem. And there will be people that will misunderstand you. There will be people that do not like you. The children sing today about, we believe. And they talked about different basic beliefs that we as Christians hold dear. And if you are a person that has substance to yourself, if you have beliefs 
and you believe that there are certain things that are true, there will be other individuals that do not like you and despise you simply because of your sincerely held Christian beliefs. And there may even be people that work for your destruction in the school, in the job environment, in the community, simply because you are a person that is committed to the truths of God and you are a person that is following Christ, even if that leads you to Jerusalem. So he pulls them aside and says, listen, this is where we're going. And then notice what he says. Everything that is written through the prophets about the Son of Man will be accomplished. For he will be handed over to the Gentiles, and he will be mocked, insulted, spit on, and after they flog him, they will kill him. And he will rise on the third day. Now, I want you to note that the cross was not an accident. I believe this is the third occasion in Luke's gospel where Jesus predicts his death on the cross. And he tells the disciples all the things that were written in the Old Testament, they ultimately point to this moment when we go up to Jerusalem and the Son of God dies on the cross. You see, the Passover of Exodus chapter 12 pointed to Jesus' blood, which must be shed for our sins. The Day of Atonement in Leviticus chapter 17 pointed to Jesus dying on the cross as our substitute. The bronze snake in Numbers chapter 21 points to Jesus as the object of our faith. The living Redeemer of Job chapter 19 pointed to Jesus as the resurrected Lord. The the forsaken King of Psalm 22 pointed to Jesus as the Savior of all nations. The Old Testament Scriptures point us to Jerusalem, and what unfolds in Jerusalem is the fulfillment of all these prophecies, of all these years of God's action with His people. The Old Testament reveals to us a holy God, a holy God that is beyond us, a holy God whose righteousness we can never live up to. In fact, as you read the pages of Scripture, you begin to discover that the righteous standard of God you can't accomplish. You can get on the treadmill of works and you can do everything you possibly can do to try to be a good person, to live up to God's righteous standard. But the more you learn about the holiness of God, the more it reveals to you that you fall short, that you're in need of the grace of God. And so with every turn of the page, the Old Testament prophets pull us aside and they say to us, hey, listen, we're going up to Jerusalem. Hey, listen, the way that this story is unfolding is that God, motivated by His love for you, is going to send His Son. And His Son is going to live the life that you could never live. And His Son is going to go up to Jerusalem. And the Son is going to lay down His life for your sins and mine. And His Son is going to take the wrath of God into the grave. And the grave will not hold Him because He is more powerful than death. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is the author of life. He is the one who extends to us eternal hope. And so my son is going to go up to Jerusalem and he's going to do something for you and for me and for all of humanity that we could never do on our own. He's going to bring salvation near. And the Old Testament prophets, they pointed like a laser pointing to Jerusalem saying, hey, listen, we must go up 
to Jerusalem. Now look at the level that Jesus gives, the level of detail that Jesus gives in predicting his death. He says, I'm going to be handed over to the Gentiles. That was fulfilled when Jesus was handed over to the Romans. He says, I'm going to be mocked, insulted, and spit upon. And that was exactly what unfolded there in Fort Antonia in the barracks when they took Jesus into the inner sanctum and they dressed him in a purple robe and they crowned him with a crown of thorns. And there the, uh, the, the Roman soldiers, they tortured Jesus and mocked him and insulted him and plucked his beard. All of it a fulfillment of what Jesus said was going to happen. And then Jesus said they are going to flog me and, and kill me. They're going to take me to Calvary and they're, they're going to crucify me. But you need to begin to understand that no one took Jesus' life. Jesus laid down his life. Because before any of this unfolded, Jesus pulled his disciples aside and said, hey, this is what's going to happen and this is where we're going. But don't miss this. Usually whenever you come across this in In your Bible, the heading up top says, Jesus foretells his death. But the big headline should say, Jesus foretells his resurrection. Because after the death, Jesus says, oh, and I'm going to rise again on the third day. (laughs) I'm going to conquer death. You know, it's going to be bad. It's going to be difficult. It's going to be dark. But when the third day comes, God's going to win. Now, please, please hear me. There are going to be times when you go to Jerusalem. There are going to be times when the insults fly, when the hammers ring, when your soul will grow thirsty, when your heart will race, whenever you feel like you are surrounded by your enemies and they are mocking you. You will feel as if the world has grown dark and you will feel as though your soul is crying out to your Lord. I do not understand. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why am I all alone here? But when the darkness recedes, the sun will shine. In the end, going to Jerusalem is not a story of death. It's a story of eternal life. And when God calls you to go through a season of difficulty, when God allows circumstances to become challenging, no, God has not abandoned you. He is with you in the difficulty. Sometimes we bang on the portals of heaven and we say, God, why, why, I don't understand. And God rarely answers our whys, but He always gives us His presence in the midst of our cries. He goes with us through the difficulty. And as you continue to persevere and trust God, you find that the sun shines again and that God uses that difficulty for His glory and that there is hope that goes beyond that which we see. Well, how did the disciples receive these words from Jesus? Verse 34 says, They understood none of these things. This saying was, hidden from them, and they did not grasp what was said. So Jesus calls them aside, kind of unloads his heart. This is what's about to happen. And the disciples basically look at Jesus and go, huh? I don't understand. I don't get it. This doesn't make sense to me. Therein lies the problem. 
The disciples didn't understand any of these things because they're not God. Now that sounds like a simple idea, I'm not God. But in reality, if you look at world religions, many world religions teach that you are God or that you can become God. But the disciples were not going to understand everything about the plan of God because they're not God. They didn't realize that if Jesus didn't go to Jerusalem, they were all doomed. That without the Savior's death, humanity had no hope. The disciples couldn't see that, though. At this point, they were still maturing. They were still growing. God was still revealing His will. They had given up everything to follow Jesus, and I think somewhere in their heart they thought that the earthly payoff would be that they would be rich young rulers. And now, Jesus is telling them, okay, give up everything and follow me, and by the way, I'm about to die. This just didn't make sense to them. Has there ever been a time in your life When God called you into a situation or you found yourself in a situation where you were like, God, this just doesn't make sense. Anybody ever found themselves in that situation? Okay, about 20 of you found yourself in that situation. The rest of you are liars. Okay, (laughs) reality is we've all all been there. We just don't want to admit it in church, you know, that kind of deal. This is something that hits every single one of us. So, what do you do when following God just doesn't seem to make sense? Well, first of all, ask yourself this question. What do I know about God? Well, I know that God is holy. And because God is holy, I know that He is beyond me. And I know that as a holy God, He is pure. So, His motives are not corrupt there isn't sin in him and because of that I know that I can place my faith in a holy God because I'm not placing my faith in something that is dark or corrupt I'm placing my faith in something that is completely pure secondly I I know that God is loving the scriptures repeatedly talk about how God is love God actually defines love for us and it was his love that motivated him to sent his son and so time and time again I see the love of God on display and in fact the Bible even says that the cross is a demonstration of God's love and so I know that God is holy and I know that God is loving and then thirdly I know that I'm not God now I'm thankful I'm not God and you should be thankful that I'm not God because I would make a bad God really And a lot of you guys are very nice people. Steve Baggett's one of the nicest guys I've ever met. But Steve Baggett would make a horrible God. Okay? Why? Because our knowledge is too small. We are too finite. And we wouldn't make a good God. But we know that scriptures have revealed, and we also know from the story of our life, if if you're a believer, you've walked with God, and you know that God is holy, and you know that God is loving, And you know that you're not God, and because of that, you have certain limits to what you know. Secondly, ask yourself the question, am I smarter than God? And the answer to that is no. Despite Google, despite Siri, you're never going to find all the answers. Now, I will say 
it is okay to ask questions. It is okay to have an inquiring mind. It's okay to explore the answers to some of life's ultimate questions. In fact, many of the pursuits of science are ultimately about unlocking the inherent truths that God has put within His creation. It's okay to ask questions. It's okay to search for answers. Yet at the same time, we need to realize that there are times that I won't have all the answers. And I'm not smarter than God. But ultimately, God doesn't call you to understand everything. He calls you to trust Him in everything. And so we come back to our sermon series, Simple Faith. And in every sermon, we've asked this question, What does God want from me? He wants you. He wants your faith. He wants you to follow Him, to place your trust in Him. And when you place your trust in Christ, you're placing your trust in a holy, loving God who knows more than you know, who has your best interest in mind, who has His creation's best interest in mind, and you can trust Him. Faith is never any greater than the object in which it's placed. And when you place your faith in God, simple faith becomes great faith. What does God want from me? He wants my faith. He wants me. So thirdly, place your faith in Him. Trust Him. Know that even though things don't always make sense, even though sometimes He calls you through the valley of the shadow of death, even though sometimes you feel as though you are surrounded by your enemies, Jesus calls us to sit and dine and eat from His table and drink from His cup, and my cup overfloweth. Because the presence of God is with me. And He will be with me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in His house forever. Because the ultimate hope of Christianity is not about being the rich young ruler. The ultimate hope of Christianity is that we spend eternity with Him, bringing glory to Him, that the nations hear of the name and extend the fame of our Savior that our one and only life is used in such a way that it overflows the boundary of our life and connects with others so that we become individuals that are loving God, loving one another, and loving others. And our life has the living water of Jesus Christ flowing through it in such a way that those who find themselves with a thirsty soul experience the living water and that thirst is quenched by the power of the gospel. And we see people drawn to the cross through the authenticity of Christians living out their faith and sharing the gospel rather than pushed away from the cross by the anger of Christians and by the doubts that pull us away from the Savior. Hang on to your faith. Hang on to your Savior. Trust in Christ. Place your simple faith in Him. And simple faith, when rightly placed in a powerful God, becomes great faith. I close with a passage of Scripture from Jeremiah 29 and verse 11. It was a dark day for the prophet. He had been taken out of his homeland. He was living in exile. So many of the dreams that he had 
for his life as a young man, they were now gone. He didn't know exactly what the future would hold for him nor for his people. And in Jeremiah 29 and verse 11, the scriptures say, For I know the plans I have for you. This is the Lord's declaration. Plans for your welfare, not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. I can't wait to see what God is going to do in your life and through your life as you live your life trusting Him one day at a time, one step at a time. God's going to use you, and God's going to use this church, and God's going to do some things that cause us to drop our jaws and stand in amazement and say, this is God, and isn't He good? Would you be so kind as to bow your heads, please, as we come to a time of commitment? Earlier in the service, Eliana Contreras was in this baptistry proclaiming her faith in Jesus Christ. And I ask you today, has there ever been a time in your life where you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ? If there hasn't, I would invite you to make today the day. I would love to be a pastor to you and help guide you through this decision. You can come see me. I'll be here at the front during this next song. I'll be here after the service as well. And I'd love to help you know what it means to be a follower of Christ. The band's going to lead us in singing, and many of us will sing with the band. But before we go about the busyness of this day, I want to ask you, are you headed up to Jerusalem right now? Do you find yourself in a difficult circumstance? How are you responding when it doesn't make sense? You're pushing away, moving towards doubt, maybe even running away from the Lord, from church, from those people that you love the most. Are you continuing to push forward? One day at a time, one step at a time, trusting in a holy, loving God, placing your simple faith in Him. Remember, simple faith placed in a powerful God can turn into great faith. Father, I pray for this church. I pray that they may know of my love for them. But I pray that they may also know of your love for them, which supersedes any love that I may imagine. I pray, Father, that you will help each and every person that comes into the room today carrying that heavy load of life. I pray, Father, that you might increase our faith, drain us of anxiety, drain us of anger and bitterness, and fill us with faith and hope and love. And may you use our life for your glory. And when we find ourselves in the midst of adversity, May your spirit reveal the opportunities that come from the darkness. May you remind us that on the other side of the cross is the empty tomb. That on the other side of Christ's death is eternal life. And that sometimes you do call us to go with you up the hill that leads to Calvary. But that you are holy and loving and that we can trust you even when it doesn't make sense. So rather than running from you, May we run to you, and may you build within us a contagious joy that when we encounter other people, you use our life 
to draw others to the cross. Help us to love you so much that it overflows our lives and changes the world. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together. Let's sing boldly from our hearts.